Now, some years back, they, they discovered that Shakespeare, after he died, that there were uh, a few of Shakespeare's plays that, that he didn't get to finish writing, right? So, so there were only a first few acts that were written uh, of these plays. And so what happened, you had all these kind of Shakespearean theater men and women who desired to try and finish these plays off. But, but how do you finish a play uh, that, that the writer is now gone, right? Like, how do, how do you take what his original thought probably was and say, well, we'll continue this on and complete the play? And so what they did is they, they kind of got together, and then what they did is they just immersed themselves in the first three acts of this play, right? And, and they poured over it, and they read it, and they lived it out, and they, and they performed it to one another, and they immersed themselves so much in the story over and over and over that then they could see where the story was going. Like, they could see the trajectory of this new play that had yet to come out that now Shakespeare probably wanted to write but was never finished, and so these men and women, so immersed in Shakespeare, so immersed in this story, were then able to complete the story because they so knew what the story was about. Now, the book of Acts is, is the story of the early church. Now, I don't know everyone's personal story in the room. I don't know if church is your thing. I don't even know if you're a Christian. Uh, but I do know that as you come here, you are part of this larger meta-narrative that God is writing across the entire universe through all time. And so as we try and insert ourselves into that story this morning, and as I think the Bible calls us to be a people who continue the movement of God's story through the world until he returns, would we so immerse ourselves in the scripture continuously and constantly that when we live it out, it just makes sense? Right? They're always trying to figure out, like, hey, well, what did the Bible say? How do I live this out correctly? What, 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 is, what does this specific scripture say? But rather, will we be a people that are so poured and bought into the story of God as it's being presented to us in Acts that we would say, you know what? Like, we can be Acts 29 and 30 and 31 and 32 and 33. Now, if you're not familiar, there's 28 book or chapters in the book of Acts. I'm saying, what would it look like for the church to be so immersed in the first 28 chapters of the book of Acts that then we pick up the mantle and just run, okay? Because a lot of the themes that we'll hear this morning are, are not new if you've been with us in the book of Acts over the last, I don't know, six, seven months, okay? Like, we, we've been going through this for a while now. I think, what, we're 30 weeks in about. And so you're going to hear a lot of the same stuff. God is the author of all things, and we keep saying this thing. But we keep saying it so that our hearts and our minds and our lives would be so immersed in the story of God that when we leave this place and we don't have it preached to us every moment, it would be far more easier for us to live it out. Does that make sense? Okay. So where we're at in the story today is, again, we're seeing the gospel go forth. Now, a few weeks back, Paul had just completed his first missionary journey, which means he went to various cities preaching the gospel, and then he came back to his home church, his sending church of Antioch, and then reported back to him all that God had done. And we preached a sermon on that very text saying, I mean, lessons from the mission field, and that was part one. What we get today is Paul returning back from his second missionary journey, coming back to his sending church in Antioch, and this is going to be lessons from the mission field part two. Right? So as he comes back and reports to the church, hey, well, this is what God did, and this is what I learned, and this is what's happening, he is now describing for the church ways for them to be formed. And we would say that's the same thing for us this morning. So as we pour through these, we have five lessons from the mission field from Paul that we'll look through that I think will help us as we, try, as we strive to be the church here in 2017. Okay? Because obviously it looks a little bit different, so we have to apply in principle these ideas and these lessons that he gives us. So let's jump right in. Acts chapter 18, 1 says this. 
After this, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth, and he found a Jew named Aquila, a native of Pontus, recently from, the, from Italy with his wife Priscilla, because Claudius had commanded all the Jews to leave Rome, and he went to see them. And because he was of the same trade, he stayed with them and worked, for they were tent makers by trade, and he reasoned in the synagogue every Sabbath and tried to persuade Jews and Greeks. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul was occupied with the word testifying to the Jews that the Christ was Jesus. And when they opposed and reviled him, he shook out his garments and said, Your blood be on your own heads. I am innocent. From now on, I will go to the Gentiles. Now, recap the story for just a moment. Again, Paul visiting various cities to preach the gospel, and he lands in Corinth, and he begins to preach. And just in like every city he's been, there's some that are digging it. There are some are saying, uh, not so much. And some begin to revile him. And many in this city uh, were Jewish. And so you had these Jews who were Paul's own people who were reviling him in the gospel and saying, no, thank you. I will, we'll do our own thing. We don't need this message, right? And so Paul, in this, in this moment of, my guess is frustration, maybe holy frustration of his desire to see his own people know Jesus, he says, you know what, I've had enough, I'm going to the Gentiles, like full time now. Now, if you've been in the book of Acts, you already know that, that Paul's been witnessing to the Gentiles already, but now this is kind of this moment, this turning point in his ministry where he's saying, you know what, I've tried and have continued to come after you, you've continued to reject, and so let me go this direction. And he starts to say, I'm just going to the Gentiles. Now, a couple little nuggets of neat connections that I think are pretty fun. If you read in 1 Corinthians 9, you'll see that Paul talks about how when he came to Corinth, that he did everything possible as to not burden the church. And this is a reference back here in the book of Acts to that moment, right? Where Paul coming decides to, you know, I'm not just going to impose myself. I'm going to go and work my trade, live with trades people, and do a job as to not impose myself upon the church. And so we see kind of these connections within the letters Paul would write to come back even now into the book of Acts. Also in 2 Corinthians 11, uh, where, where it talks about how the Macedonian churches welled up in just generosity for the church in Corinth. And we see this where most likely as Silas and Timothy return to meet Paul here in this part of Acts, they're bringing with them that offering that comes from the Macedonian churches. And so I just found this phenomenon. I think it's so important that we begin to see the links between the things that Paul writes in his letters and the narrative that we get to jump into, okay? Now, the first lesson, the first lesson I think Paul, if he came back to the church in Antioch, would say, hey, guys, I think, I think we need to know this. And I think it's that the church always needs more leaders, Okay? I think the church always needs more leaders. Now, listen, the church is moving, and Paul is the guy, okay? Like, he is the most respected. He's the king evangelist. He's the king church planner. He's the one everyone's looking to. And then Priscilla and Aquila, or Aquila, they, they, they come in out of Rome after being forced out, and they run into Paul. Now, these were just normal people. They, they weren't your, your, your all-stars. They hadn't done of anything of this incredible Christian reputation up to this point. They, they were just Christians who were forced to leave town. And then Paul interacts with them. And immediately we see a trajectory where they are discipled, developed, and put into leadership over the church. right? And we're going to continue to see that throughout the book of Acts. Their names continue to come up. Now, now most of the new leaders that the church needs are not me. right? Like, like we don't need a ton of pastors. We, we don't need a, a ton more of kind of this, this, this laity, this clergy thing. What we need is a whole bunch of leaders within the church who just go and do normal jobs. 
who are, who are going to leave here that don't really have all that big a role here on Sunday morning or on Wednesday night or anything like that, but are just going to go to work Monday morning and are going to reflect Jesus and are going to be leaders within the community of God. Now, now, the church hasn't always done a fantastic job with this. Oftentimes, it's been no, like all the leadership needs to be focused up here, right? So it needs to be focused on, on me, on, on Anthony, on, on Randy, on the rest of our, of our kind of leadership structure, right? Look, look, look to them, and we would say, we want to push against that and say, if you're here, that God is developing you and discipling you through his spirit and through his word, that you would be part of leading people. Now, maybe it's in different contexts. It doesn't mean everyone's supposed to just come up on stage. It doesn't mean everyone's supposed to lead small groups. It's supposed to be everyone in here, God, I believe, is calling to a certain level of influence to the people around them, both in the church and out of the church. So I don't know where you're at. I don't know what God's been putting upon your heart and your life and your vision for your life. But I guarantee you, God probably wants to use you more than you're being used right now. And that, that's not a blanket statement for everyone, because that's just not true. I know some of you that are doing like 10 times the amount I do in less time, okay? And you're rock stars, and, and way to go. Like, I pale, and I, wor- I don't worship you. But I mean, I think you're great, okay? But I think God is always trying to tell the church, listen, this, is, this isn't like the pastor's thing. This isn't my church, like, true, I, like, this is not Anthony's church. It's not Randy's church. It's not Andy's church. Like, this is our church if this is your church. Like, if this is the family that you call home, like, this is your church. Like, the local expression of the body of Christ here in town. Now, but even beyond that, right? Like, we're part of even a larger body than this. This is just one of many. That's why we pray for churches every week. Because we know we're just one part of the gospel answer for the world in this city. But I'll tell you this, if, if you're here and this is your family, God, God is calling you to say, man, what would it look like for you to use your gifts, your talents, to serve and bless the people around you, okay? And so we don't, I don't have any specifics. I'm not just going to do this big plug for, for kids ministry right now, which we do need a bunch, though. Uh, I'm not going to come here and say, hey, we're going to do a plug for Redemption Community Leaders, which we need those, too. Uh, I'm not going to say, come in and say, hey, we, we, we like really stink at giving, so you should give more. I'm not going to say that. You know, I'm not, I'm not, you get it. God wants to use the whole church to redeem this city, not just a select few people. And you see this throughout Paul's ministries. He's constantly drawing in new people to say, all right, great, we need you, let's go, okay? So again, I don't know where you're at, but if something like that, if there's something stirred in there about that, come and, come and talk to me, okay? Uh, major lesson number two, I think, is that um, we have a responsibility to share the gospel, now, and if you've been, again, you've been around with us in the book of Acts, like this is just, should be coming apparent. Now, one of the things we often talk about, about here at Redemption is that, you know, preaching and evangelism and sharing your faith should be a response to the gospel, right? That God has done so much in our lives, right? Uh, that the gospel is true, that, that Christ died the death that you and I deserve to die, that he raised, he literally beat death that we would have new life. Like because of that, then we respond to the gospel by serving, by preaching, by living a life of integrity, by trying to follow Christ, by et cetera, et cetera, living and treating people 
with love. Like, it's all a response. And I think oftentimes we, we, we hit that drum so hard, and I think it's necessary we do because oftentimes it's just a legalistic approach, right? It's a moralistic therapeutic deism that says, man, if I try hard enough, I'm a good enough person, then I can prove myself to the people around me and to God. And so we push against that by saying, no, it's a response to the gospel. You don't earn God's favor. He gives you favor, then you respond. Now, again, I'm belaboring the point, but here's what I often think is sometimes we hit that so hard, we miss that this is also a responsibility. That it's not just a response, but it's also a responsibility to preach the gospel, right? To, to tell people of the good news of Jesus, both through word and deed. So let me, let me read a text here from Ezekiel 33. It says this, Son of man, Speak to your people and say to them, If I bring the sword upon the land, and the people of the land take a man from among them, and make them their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning, and the sword comes and takes him away, his blood shall be upon his own head. He heard the sound of the trumpet and did not take warning, his blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, so that the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes away any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. Dang. See, see it's, it's both a response to the gospel, and we, we have to understand it has to be gospel, then, then we move. But there is a responsibility for the Christian to preach the gospel. And this is the text, Ezekiel that Paul is referencing when he says, blood be upon your own head, I'm going to the Gentiles. Paul's like, listen up, guys, like, I've been trying to tell you over and over and over about Jesus, about what he's done for you, about who he is, and you miss him constantly. Not only do you miss him, but then you revile me as I bring the good news to you. He says, your blood be upon your own head, just like in Ezekiel, because he's likening himself to the watchman on the wall, saying, man, I see the sword coming. And I've told you, and you've not listened, so your blood be upon your own head. Now, now, if Paul had shied away and said, hey, I see the sword coming, and yet I do nothing about it, then that's on me. Dang, that is a heavy, heavy text. Okay. There is a, and I've shared this story before, but I find it quite profound. Uh, and maybe, and there's a lot of new faces, so maybe you haven't heard it, but there, there's a, a comedian uh, Penn and Teller, two comedians, and, and Penn has this statement where he talks about how Christians are always trying to save him and stuff like that because he's a very outspoken atheist, okay? And so Penn would, would, has told people, like, on record, in interviews, he says, man, how much? Like, I, he goes, I, I know what you Christians believe about heaven and hell. I, like, I know what you believe about, you know, grace and justification and, and Jesus and the, and the whole deal. He's like, I know what, it, I know what the Bible says, and he looks him straight in the face, like right into the camera. He says, how much do you have to hate me to not tell me what the gospel says? Like, and he goes on, how much do you have to hate me to not try and save me? And I remember the first time I heard that, and I was like, dang, like, you don't often hear that from most of the atheists in the world, right? Usually, and maybe some of you are here, right? But, and you don't often hear like that type of, understanding of what this thing actually says because what we believe is that Jesus is the only way. Now, now as, as uncouth as that sounds within 2017, especially in our city, we believe he's the only way. The Bible says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father through me, but through me. 
And so if that's true, man, how, how much must we hate the world if we refuse to share the gospel? That's very convicting in my soul. And blood be upon our own heads if we shy away from telling people about the saving truth of Jesus Christ. We have a response to the gospel, but we certainly have a responsibility as well. Next, verse 7. Let's keep going. And he left there and went to the house of a man named Titius Justus, a worshiper of God. His house was next door to the synagogue. Crispus, great name. The ruler of the synagogue believed in the Lord together with his entire household. And many of the Corinthians hearing Paul believed and were baptized. And the Lord said to Paul one night in a vision, Do not be afraid, but go on speaking and do not be silent, for I am with you. And no one will attack you to harm you, for I have many in this city who are my people. And so after this moment of calling them to the responsibility that they have, Okay? He then continues on in his preaching of the gospel, his own response to the good news of, of what he's experienced, but also his responsibility to preach that. And I want, I want you to think for just a moment, just to revisit this idea for all you, especially who are married, right? Like if you only did and served and loved your spouse in response to them loving and serving and respecting and blessing you, what your marriage would look like, Right? Like if it was always only, like if, if Verity was only always going to respond, and listen, I'm an amazing husband, like top, like top 1% for sure, okay? Um, but even in that, if she only lived in response to my love, right, man, we would be fighting all the time. But no, she, just like I, have a responsibility to one another to serve and to love one another regardless of what the other person does. And so Paul, acting out of both response and responsibility, continues to preach, and he goes, and here's the first thing he does is he shows up at this guy's house that just happens to live right next to the synagogue. Now, I don't think that this was just a random movement by him. I think he's like, ah, I know I told them that like I was done with them, but let me like just stand in this house where if I yell loud enough, they can hear me through the walls, right? Like, I'm, not, I'm done with you Jews, but I'm really here. I do this to my son all the time. Right? When I say, like, if we're trying to leave the house and Finley's like, no, I don't want to go, I say, all right, dude, well, then we'll see you later. And I just walk out, okay? And then what does he do? He runs after me, right? I'm a terrible parent, but this works every time. And so he says, Dad, no, like, where are you going? And then he falls, and I'm like, dude, you had your chance. And then I slam the door in his face, okay? I'm just kidding. I don't do any of that, but I let him come with at that point, right? And so I think Paul's like, listen, I, I'm, I'm done with you guys, yeah, but I'll be right here. So you can still hear. Now, the grace and the love of Paul, even in the midst of this, to say, like, I warned you, but grace will not allow me to go too far. Right? And always you see the heart of Paul as he preaches to these people. And so um, in the midst of all this, he's the people getting saved. Uh, and I think here's what God does. God knows that there's some trouble coming. Okay? Uh, he knows that, man, it's been pretty good so far in Corinth, but he knows some trouble's coming, so uh, he gets this vision from God that says, like, don't be afraid, okay? And he says two things. He says, I am with you, and he says that I have people in this city. So a major lesson number three, God has many people in Corinth at this time, and God has many people here in Flagstaff, Arizona that we don't know about yet. Now, population in Flagstaff is exploding. The campus is headed towards 25,000, okay? So what we know is, I, I would say, I mean, on a generous estimate, 70,000 people within our town don't know the Lord 
and many of them are going to. But they won't unless someone preaches. Okay. Uh, unless someone goes, beautiful are the feet that carry the good news. Okay. And so God, God has many people in Corinth, and this is an assurance for Paul to say, like, keep going, man. Like, in times are going to get rough. People are going to reject the gospel, but continue to preach because I have people in this city. The other thing that this, this lesson is really helpful for is within a culture that we live in today, which preaches on a significant level universalism, right? That preaches, man, there, there are multiple and many ways to God. Like th- this, this line that God has many people in the city, that pushes against this false ideology and worldview. Because if God only has some people in the city, that means that not all ways lead to him. That means there's a way that leads to him and some people are going to find it, okay? And so, so it pushes against this, this false reality that, man, you can just go different. Because if it was any way, eventually people find the way to God, love wins, that type of idea. If that's true, then this line is false. That means God has all the people in the city because eventually they'll be one to him. But that's just not true. And so, so pushing against this, this reality, this false ideology of our time that just many ways lead to God. But God has many people here in the city of Flagstaff. And for whatever reason, we saw this in Acts chapter 17, the last chapter, right, that God has appointed the times and places of your dwelling, that you would seek God, that you would find God, and you would help others feel their way toward him, okay? That none of you live in Flagstaff on accident, Okay, as, as roundabout as maybe you ended up here, as much as maybe you're trying to get out, okay, at least for right now, okay, he has you here intentionally, and it's to be his witness in word and deed. Okay? And that, that, listen, that doesn't mean that everyone needs to you know, just go traveling around and, and just being this itinerant preacher. and being, No, it means go and be a Christian in every aspect and sphere of your life. Okay? Wherever you play, wherever you work, Wherever your kids go to school, et cetera, be a witness and ambassador for Jesus, okay? So God has many people in our town. Major lesson number four, God's word is the best encouragement to persevere, right? That, that as, as, as time gets, gets difficult or as, as the times get difficult and people push against uh, your message or just your life or just who you are for whatever reason it may be, God's word is the best thing to call us to persevere. Now, two things. He says, I am with you, okay? So God's presence, this, this, this line, right, that I am with you, and this is not just the first time Jesus, that God is saying this, right? I am with you. This is the great commission. Go and make disciples of all nations, okay? For I am with you unto the end of age, always, okay? And so God is with us. His presence calls us into perseverance. Again, my son Finley, uh, every night as he goes to bed, uh, now he's at the point when we put him down, he lays down, but he needs us to kind of, he wants us to be in the room, right? He wants his dad in the room or his mom in the room or whatever. Mom's usually now with, with our little one, so I'm putting him to bed every night. And so I put him down. I lay with him in his little bed. It's like this Ikea, uh, like, what's it called when it's higher? Loft bed. And so it's this loft bed, and it's on, like, four little stilts, so I get in there, and it's rocking like crazy, you know, and so, like, we might die. And, and so we're laying there with him, and he's, he says, like, Daddy, can you stay with me, right? Daddy, can you stay with me? I'm like, yeah, dude, I'll stay with you, right? Because there's, there's some fear. He's learning more about shadows and stuff like that, you know, like, is this shadow going to eat me? 
Uh, and I'm like, maybe, you know. And, um, and I know, dude, I'm, I'm here with you, man. Like, I, I'm, my presence brings about peace in my son's lives. And so, like, the other night, we put him down, he goes to sleep, and then he wakes up probably around midnight, and we hear his little feet, you know, running through the hallway. We hear some crying, and he comes in, and he opens up the door, and he comes in, and he says, Daddy, I woke up, and you weren't there, and I, and I need you. Can, can, I, can you stay with me, you know? And I was like, yeah, like, <laughs> absolutely with that voice, you know? And so, again, like, there is this reality, okay, to my son's life and to any child that the presence of the Father brings about peace, okay? And, and so what does it look like for us to, to understand that God says he is with us always? So, so for some of us, like, some of you, listen, when I talk to you and you guys talk about, like, the presence of God in your life, it's this hyper-emotional, amazing, like, spiritual, amazing experience, right? And I'm like, dang, like, that sounds incredible, but that's not me, like, my, my general experience about the presence of God is not this huge emotional thing. For some of you, it is. And that's, that makes sense because God is relational, and so he connects and work with, works with us in different ways, okay? But God is with you always. So, again, with my son, what happens is sometimes I'll put him into his bed, and then we have this little, like, castle tent thing over his bed because he's a rock star. And so, like, he'll go to sleep, and then I'll just say, hey, daddy's going to be sitting on the chair, Right? He says, Daddy, you'll sit on the chair? I say, yes, I'll sit on the chair. So here's the thing. He cannot see me, right? There's no access because there's this castle wall, right? And so he cannot see me. He just knows I'm there because I told him I would be there, and he's out like a light, right? So, so sometimes you're going to see him and feel him and experience him, and the presence of God will be practical and tangible, and that's just the way you work. Sometimes it's just going to have to be, hey, I am with you, always. God is always with you. Wherever you go, whatever you do, he's there, okay? And so his presence brings about all that scripture promises, which is peace, joy, and refreshment, okay? Always, which leads to perseverance. And the second part is God's mission is the other thing in his word that he says, again, going back to the line of he has people in this city. So continue to go because guess what? It's not about your ability to save people. It has never been about how eloquent you are, okay? It's never been how you can preach. It's never been about how great of a testimony your life is. It's always been about a God who loves people more than we do, a God who loves the city more than we do, and a God who wants and has done everything possible to save those people more than we ever would, okay? And so he is going after people. And the reality is, listen, you can't save everyone because you can't really save anyone. Because okay? it's all God, man. At every step of the way. And this should call us to perseverance. Okay, last couple parts of the text, verse 11. He stayed a year and six months there in Corinth, teaching the word of God among them. But when Gallio was pro-council of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack on Paul and brought him before the tribunal, saying, this man is persuading the people to worship God contrary to the law. But when Paul was about to open his mouth, Gallio said to the Jews, If it were a matter of wrongdoing or vicious crime, O Jews, I would have reason to accept your complaint. But since it is a matter of questions about words and names and your own law, see to it yourselves. I refuse to be a judge of these things. He drove them from the tribunal. And they all seized then Sosthenes, the ruler of the synagogue, and beat him in front of the tribunal. But Gallio paid no attention to any of this. Now, 
first of all, poor Sosthenes, right? Like he's just running a synagogue and then these guys in their frustration can't get after Paul and so then they beat him up, right? Now, now some early uh, historical manuscripts would say Sosthenes maybe had also gotten saved and so he had become a recent convert running the Jewish synagogue and this was frustrating, obviously, for the Jews that, that their leader was now a follower of, of Jesus. And so they beat him because they couldn't beat Paul and you notice the depth and frustration. Now, here's why this little transition text is a big deal for the early church because what is ruled here by Gallio that, listen, that's for you guys to decide, Okay. This is a huge deal because it sets a precedent within Roman law that they will not come after the Christians for disobeying, disobeying law that just belonged to the Jews. And so this sets up this kind of significant amount of freedom for the, Jew, for, sorry, for the early missionaries to continue to preach the gospel. Okay? Now, they did plenty of other things that still got them in trouble with the Roman authorities, and so Rome didn't exactly love them after this, but this still allowed for some wiggle room and navigation for the presentation of the gospel. Last text, verse 18. After this, Paul stayed many days longer and then took leave of the brothers and set sail for Syria and with him Priscilla and Aquila and went to, uh, at, oh, sorry, at, and this is a tough word, but it's Sancrii. Uh, he had cut his hair for he was under a vow. And they came to Ephesus and he left them there, but he himself went to the synagogue and reasoned with the Jews. When they asked him to stay for a longer period, he declined. But on taking leave of them, he said, I will return to you if God wills. And he set sail from Ephesus. When he had landed at Caesarea, he went up and greeted the church and then went down to Antioch. And after spending some time there, he departed and went from one place to the next to the region of Galatia and Phrygia, strengthening all the disciples. And so again, he begins to wrap up the second missionary journey, again, preaching some more. Again, some people positive, some negative, the whole deal, as you can imagine, going through the land. And it leads us to our final and major lesson as he leaves the people in Ephesus, um, which he will return to, okay? He says, man, I'll, I'll come back here if God wills. Like, I'll continue to preach here. I'll continue to invest in the church if, if God wills. Again, now, Paul, I think, being wise, echoing the words of our Savior Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane and saying, Lord, not my will, but your will be done. I think there's a deep understanding of the sovereignty of God in Paul's life to know that at the end of day, major lesson number five is that God is the author of all things. Now, if, if God is the author of all things in our lives and in this world, of everything that kind of moves and breathes and happens, the freedom that exists then for those who trust him and love him. That means when Calamity comes upon you. God knows about it. That God is still ever present in his presence, bringing about joy, refreshment, and peace. That God promises to continue to provide even in the midst of that calamity, everything that is necessary for you. Okay? And so, again, you can take that because God is the author of life. When things are going really well, listen, that's not because you worked really hard and you achieved a ton. It's because God so authored it that way that you would give him glory and you would see his goodness and his salvation and then you would bring that to the world. God is the author of the entire book of Acts. And as we read this, this is not Paul's story. It's not Peter's story. It's not about how great the early church is. It's about they constantly look to the fact that God is the author of this world. 
And so they are free to move and to preach and to win and to fail and to come somewhere in between and to bring people in, you know, new leaders to not hog authority and power, but to give that away constantly because they know that God is the author of all things. I think as Paul brings these lessons back to the church in Antioch and calls them to then learn and grow and develop and continue to be the witness the world they're called to be, he does the same for us this morning. The last story I have for us is uh, when I was, um, I was in Orlando and I was working on staff with an organization out there and there's this one moment, there's, and I've maybe even shared this here, here before too, you preach enough and all the illustrations or the stories just get repeated, so I'm sorry if you've heard it. Um, but I remember this time where we go over to Wycliffe, and if you don't know what Wycliffe is, it's a Bible translation organization. I mean, like the Bible translation organization. If there's been a Bible translated in the world, most likely they did it, okay? And so their, or their headquarters is in Orlando as well, and so we had an opportunity to go visit, and they had, a, honestly, it was like a five-star, like Michelin-rated chef quit his job to go work at the kitchen at Wycliffe Bible Translators, and so he made amazing food, so we'd eat there all the time, okay? Anyway, we walk in. And in this room, there's just round tables everywhere. Tables eight, ten, you know, ten size round tables. And every time you go there, there would be at, at multiple tables, collections of five or six or seven, uh, usually men and women in their 70s, 80s, and 90s, all sitting around tables together. And, and what they were is there are all these, these missionaries that have been on the field for 50, 60, 70 years, Right? that like graduated college, got a degree, and then moved overseas and dedicated their life to Bible translation, right? And they've been to multiple places just translating the scriptures for the world to hear, okay? And, and the most amazing thing was that they would invite people to just come sit with them. Like there was always at every table intentionally was like one or two seats that were always open that people were encouraged, go and sit down and just be a fly on the wall in the conversations of these men and women about their experience of seeing God author, and so we'd sit there, man, and I cannot tell you the crazy stories that we heard of God's providence and God's faithfulness, honestly, of pain and of hurt and of hardship, but God's faithfulness in the midst of it, and how in everything God knew what he was doing. And sitting there, we would just glean and learn multiple lessons from those who have come before us. And what we get in the book of Acts, church, and this has been a huge bent for me since the moment we decided we were going to preach through this book. We get an opportunity to sit on the fly, or as flies on the wall, of this amazing narrative that God is writing throughout history. That the church's birth, we get to study week in and week out over the last 30 weeks and for the next 20. Pouring over, God, what have you done and how do we now become part of that in 2017? My prayer constantly for our church and for the church in Flagstaff has been that we would be so immersed in the story of God that when we leave our respective local congregations, when you guys leave here, when our friends from other churches leave their place, they'd be so immersed in the gospel story that they would just easily, it would just make sense for them to go and live it out wherever they call home, wherever they call work, wherever they call play, et cetera, et cetera. Okay. Because God is in control of this whole thing. What does it look like for you to buy into that? Okay. What does it look like for us as a church to buy into that reality? That, that, listen, what we read, this is your story. 
This isn't a collection of stories from some random people that are completely disconnected from you. No, no. This is our family story. Like this, this is what God did with our ancestors. This is what God is calling his people now to, is this same type of movement and heart and desire to preach the gospel until the whole world has known. Now, there's going to be multiple ways we get there. But man, I would love for us to become a congregation and a people who no matter what we got going on would at least believe that truth. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. God, that this is your story and you care about your story way more than we do. God, that honestly, if I think you save most of the time in spite of us, not, not because of us. God, I thank you for all the mercy that you give us. God, when we make terrible decisions. And we choose selfishness, we choose pride, and we choose uh, our own desires, oftentimes coming at the expense of others. God, I, I confess the realities and the multiple times I, I continue to do that myself. Well, we thank you that we need not stay in our confession and brokenness, God, but we get to celebrate because of what you've done. Because of your grace, Lord, you've, you've truly set us free because of your your providence and your sovereignty, God, we, we can move and act and be your church here in 2017 in the same way we see your church just depending wholly on you and being who you need them to be that the world would know. So God, I pray that you'd raise up new leaders here in our community. God, to disciple, to pour into others, to shape people who would shape others. God, that you'd raise up leaders in our community through this congregation, through your church in our city, God, that would go and, and infect every aspect and part of life here in Flagstaff. God, that, that you would raise up Christian leaders in our community that would so invest in the education system here, that would have such a unique and incredible heart, the heart of God for kids to be able to pour into and invest and shape and structure a continued system here that would man, that would give you glory because of how well it's run and how much it invests in kids. God, that you do so in every sector of our town. God, that you'd raise us up to be your church. That the world would know what you've done and that they would experience the freedom and the flourishing that comes from being in the kingdom of God. God, again, we thank you that you're authoring this story which allows us now to, to not have any fear of what anyone else would, would think about our response to you and the gospel. No matter who's around us, God, that we get to sing and we get to give and we get to, to pray and to take communion, Lord. Free. With the opportunity always that in every aspect of our lives, God, to be able to give it back for you. Thank you that you've equipped us with your presence and the Holy Spirit to give this, this life a fighting chance, that you've set us free from our sin and our brokenness, God, because you love us far more than we could even ever love ourselves. And so, God, I pray your goodness, your shaping power over myself and over everyone here and over our church. And God, lastly, we pray that you would save. Are there any, any here, God, that, that don't know you personally, God?
have never confessed you as Lord. God, I just pray that you would do amazing work. Reveal yourself. Illuminate your reality and your truth. And draw people to yourself and save. God, thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen.